Welcome to Lending Forward, a podcast where we're lending every bit of what we know to our listeners. From real conversations and lessons learned deep within the industry to education and forward thinking. Together, we're Lending Forward. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to our channels and connect with us on www.AtlanticBay.com. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, LLC, NMLS number 72043, NMLSConsumerAccess.org is an equal opportunity lender. Located at 600 Lynn Haven Parkway, Suite 203, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23452. Welcome, Matthew. We're so excited to have you on Lending Forward, our very own mortgage banker from Atlantic Bay. Thank you, Taylor. Welcome. Yeah. So you have a huge story that has to be told and we love you. Your people love you. So it's so good to be able to sit down with you one-on-one and just kind of be able to tell that story. So today we're talking about all things perseverance, whether that be through life's obstacles or literally hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. Matthew is here to tell us the story. He's got the shirt. He's got the journey. So tell us how you define perseverance. Oh, goodness gracious. I can tell you that I, my definition of perseverance, which I thought was quite it was quite specific and unique, was completely changed when I actually went to Africa, only because you change those limits when you when you push your boundaries. Perseverance was negative 15 degrees at one o'clock in the morning on pitch black with sheer cliffs on the left side of you with 49% oxygen where you hadn't slept in 48 hours on the top of the highest mountain in Africa. That's what perseverance is. Now you don't learn that you can overcome that until you do that. <laughs> but it was uh, it was quite an example of perseverance, especially because there's a known false summit there too. So after eight hours straight, frozen water, like we were we were going up, and within one hour, our water lines were frozen solid. Our water camelbacks were frozen solid. We had taken Nalgene bottles that were full of water, wrapped them in socks, put them upside down, put them in our backpacks. They were frozen solid. When we got three hours into the hike, they got us some hot tea that by the time they took the thermos out and poured the tea and handed it to us, it was iced tea. That is not an exaggeration. It was literally steaming coming out and becoming iced tea hitting the cup. That's crazy. You're from, were you born and raised in our headquarters in Virginia Beach? Were you born and raised here in in Virginia? No, in Virginia, uh, excuse me, Vermont, the other V. Vermont. Okay. So I grew up for 14 and a half years in Vermont, and then I went to Colorado. 14, 15, 16, and 17, and 18, as a child with my father, I, I used to climb 14,000-foot mountains, 13,000-foot mountains on the weekends. And then I, I didn't know you were prepping me for this, right? but it, it did. So, Well, and so you've been kind of a hiker and love the outdoors, embraced that kind of acclimate, or you've acclimated to those elements, I guess you could say. But what was it about this one particular Mount Kilimanjaro? What was it? And what, where was the, the aha moment where you're like, I got to do this? So initially with Mount Kilimanjaro, my wife was sitting on the couch one day and it was on TV and she said, I want to climb Kilimanjaro. And honestly, my wife is a very beautiful, very motivated, very hardworking, very wonderful woman who can do most anything. But obviously I looked at her and I was like, excuse me? Like, are you, <laughs> what, are you a mountaineer now? Anyway, right. so I kind of let it go. And like a year later, she... She said it again. And I was like, uh, okay. I mean, you've mentioned it twice now. So, and then a year later, I was like, all right, where is this coming from? Because it just keeps popping up. We were watching This Is Us and Mandy Moore was on there. And then like a Kilimanjaro thing came on, then Mandy Moore. And she was like, Mandy Moore hiked Kilimanjaro. And I was like, okay, that's a random piece of information. So anyway, that's how the conversation started. And what it started looking at was, it is the, it's one of the tallest peaks in the world, obviously, but it's only one that doesn't have any technical climbing to it. Like we didn't need to set ropes. 
We didn't need to get crampons. We didn't need to fall off cliffs. It's just extremely long. It's extremely high and extremely tough. Obviously, non-mountaineers, like we've hiked. I mean, you know, First Landing State Park is far from Kilimanjaro, but <laughs> we had had a little bit of training there. So that was the one that we could do. And not to mention, it's easy. To, it's nice to say that you climbed the tallest mountain in Africa. For sure. So we, we started replacing other things. As I got a little bit older, I decided that I wanted a lot more fulfilling things to to pursue instead of the general stuff. I kind of looked around at the people around me and the normal behaviors of what we do. And the way it looked was four and a half days a week, we go out and we work. And then on Friday nights, we would go out and we have drinks with friends. And on Saturday, we sleep in a little bit. And on Saturday night, we have drinks with friends. And then on Sunday, we go ahead and go have drinks with friends or we go on a boat or we go do something social like that. And while that's great, I wanted more. I wanted more excitement. I wanted something that would push me to the edge. I wanted something that would really make me, you know, look at my own mortality, look at my own, you know, what, I, what I've accomplished and the things that I want to accomplish. And I wanted to push myself really far and Kilimanjaro was the way. So we gave up other things to train for two years to go to Kilimanjaro. And this is what came out of it. You were mentioning to me something about a book that you read that was pretty life-changing. Can you tell us more about that? Okay, so I love reading the great books, you know, but honestly, the books, let's be completely honest. We're on a podcast. We're going to be able to say this out loud. Most books say the same thing. Otherwise, apps like Blinkist and those things, they wouldn't even be popular. But to be honest with you, the base the base roots of most books are the same. So you read them and you're like, okay, go up on time. Let's get up early in the morning. Yes, mornings are great. Oh, we got to set goals. Yep. We got to write things down. Like all the things you've heard. Should we do handwritten notes? Yes, we should do handwritten notes. So we aren't reinventing the wheel. We're just getting better at the things that we're doing. And we're trying to do it in a way that other people haven't seen before. Well, I read a book. I was given a book by one of the realtors that my partner Stacy works with. His name's Alan Thompson. It's called Can't Hurt Me. And it is by a seal. His name is David Goggins. By all accounts, David is as extreme as it comes. When he was a representative for the SEALs, he would actually run the 50 miles to his meeting so he could talk about the SEALs. He would then run home. He would show up to these things running. He would arrive running, do like 50 pull-ups while he's doing it and run. He was over 380 pounds. He lost all that, every ounce of that weight in 15 months to join the Navy, to join the SEALs. He had to go through buds three times. So the more things that I can say, and honestly, I'm not even there yet, the more things that I can say, he was just the definition of perseverance. He was the definition of making it through. He was the definition of no excuses. And he was the definition of my favorite hashtag, which is path of no resistance. Path of, excuse me, most resistance. Excuse me. He's the one who taught me that, you know, the harder it is, most likely the bigger the reward. So uh, tell us what that journey was like on Mount Kilimanjaro. And was there anything that like really sticks out? Maybe it's something your wife said to you. And by the way, that going and pushing yourself that hard with your wife is just very commendable because you know how some couples are just like, oh, there's no way I could, you know, we could do this together. Or I get it. I get it. Let, let me explain. This is actually cool. What we found is what we hoped we would find. Actually, what we dreamed we would find. When we stripped away the entire world, there was nothing left but of our marriage. So we were basically going to have to face each other in the middle of the elements and just each other. When we're at home, we have school, we have dry cleaning, we have work, we have bills, we have plants to feed, we have three dachshunds to make sure that they're all happy. We have all of these things. And when it came down to it, we stripped away everything. Phones were irrelevant in 12 hours. And when I say irrelevant, I mean, you know our world. My phone was irrelevant. I haven't put down my phone. I haven't put down my phone in 10 years. I have not put my phone down for more than a day. I can't tell you. I put my phone down for eight 
days. And when I say down, I mean down. It was a camera. We didn't talk. We didn't text, all that stuff. So when it came down to it, it was just her and I on the mountain. And honestly, it makes me choke up just a little bit because when it came down to us, the end of it was the best. I, um, sorry. <laughs> oh, I know. It's good. You peel back all these layers and then it's truly just emotion. It's just two souls. That's all it was. And there was, there, there was moments where she was weak and needed me and I was weak and needed her. Yeah. It was a dream that we had together. And at the end of the day, it was uh, when it was just her and I, our innate, our innate reaction, the things that we did were automatically to take care of each other and put each other first. Wow. When everything else was stripped away, our automatic default was to take care of each other. And it basically... I don't know, rekindled our marriage. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, it's such an inspiration, you know, because I mean, hiking it in and of itself is huge, but doing it with your significant other that you you just really find out what was meant to be will actually be. And so that's just, I love that story. I'm sorry to get you choked up, but it is, it almost got me too. I'm like, oh, that's so powerful. It's moving, it's moving. So it, I mean, it was just, it was life-changing and it was something that her and I needed to go through. Obviously, you know, our yeah. our journey together for 15 years hasn't been without its spikes, valleys and, and things to get through. At the end of the day, when it came down to, you know, accomplishing this task, we did it together. We stood next to each other in the hardest thing we've both ever done. So then we had that. Right, absolutely. I love that story. For f- folks who don't know much about you and you know how you got into this industry, how you met your wife, and then what your actual partnership looks like with her, because they work together, right? Like you guys work together. Yeah. So I mean, it's true. Like that in and of itself, it probably helped you communicate better with one another and get through you know day to day life. So how did you g- get into this industry? How did your wife? And then what does the next steps for 2022 for the two of you look like? I was in the restaurant industry uh, out of necessity. When I was younger, I, I, I got in it and I just never got out. And I spent, shoot, I was 13 years old when I first started in restaurants, washing dishes, wearing vanilla, you know, wearing a, a Walkman, listening to Vanilla Ice, washing dishes in, <laughs> in Burlington, Vermont at Papa Gino's Pizza. That's how that career started. And I went, yeah. I literally went from dishwasher over the course of my career, all the way up to director, director of operations. I had five stores at one point, but anybody that does the restaurant industry knows that it's absolutely thankless. There's, you know, I'll have this argument with anybody, though I know there's a billion amazing people working in the industry. It will destroy and suck the life out of your suck the life out of your soul. I was tired and I dipped my toe in the mortgage industry in 2001. And honestly, I just, it's not financially at a time to devote or to monetarily support my own business. So I stepped away after six months. But in 2012, the person that I worked for, who is now subsequently my partner, saw me at Why Not Wednesday in um, Virginia Beach. And she walked out of the room. I hadn't seen her in I hadn't seen her in 11 years. She was completely different. She wasn't married, didn't have kids when I left the job before. She saw me in the lobby and she's like, Matthew Kirk. And I was like, Stacy Stein. And she's like, I got a job for you. And I was like, well, that's fun to hear. So <laughs> she got a hold of me on the next day. I went and interviewed at Atlantic Bay. They offered me a position. I actually turned it down. I did not want to go commission. I was very, very scared to go full commission. I had a son at the time that was 14. I had a son at the time that was seven. One, you know, he's finishing up high school, heading into college. I have another one coming up. Um, I have a wife. You know, I, I didn't want to not be able to pay my bills. But then, of course, in true Stacey Stein fashion, it took her about 13 minutes to sell me completely on coming. And I did. Wow. I, I started with Atlantic Bay from scratch. I left and came back. I can tell you that. But I have been here for the last five years. How did you, what was that first position? Let's talk career track for you. What did that first position look like? 
it's not easy to transition for, at a, you know at age 33 years old into sure. a new industry and, and pay all those bills. So I actually, because it was a refinanced group, it was back in 2012 when refinances were really, really hot at the first, second, third refinance boom. Um, and they put together like seven of us or eight of us to come in. And basically we got paid a salary and a little bit of commission. So the transition was easier. Uh, little did I know all that really was, was just basically my boot camp to become a mortgage banker to let me ease into it without having lack of funds. But it all turns out, you know how they say everything happens for a reason. So six months to a year of this new department, boom, refinances fall off. Most of the people move on to different opportunities. I stayed on and worked for Stacy. Still didn't know much. I still didn't know much. So when that left, we were transitioning from the Atlantic Bay that you know than the Atlantic Bay that started, which was the smaller company in a smaller building with a lot less staff and a lot less support. At that exact moment where we made the decision as Atlantic Bay to move on and become bigger and, and uh, basically become who we are now, I was actually at the exact same time I left to go to another mortgage company. But the good news is that was great. They told me from moment one that I was welcome to come back. They understand the situation that I came in and worked with. And in true Atlantic Bay fa fashion, for every single year, for the five years I was gone, they called me to let me know, hey, we love you. We just want you to know you can always come back if you'd like to come home, as they call it. About five years into it, I walked in and I said to her, my wife, I said, I think I want to go home. And she knew she turned around and goes, finally going back to Atlantic Bay. And I said, yes, <laughs> and the rest has been the rest is history. But that transition. So my wife's a teacher. She went to school to Old Dominion University. Go Monarchs. She became a teacher. She was teaching forever. She was the director of education for the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. So she's taught tens of thousands of students from all the way to the left of uh, Virginia to the right, all the way to the top. And honestly, she was started hanging out with all of uh, all of my friends and going on trips like we're going on tomorrow, the President's Club trip and seeing that the opportunity of just hard work. I mean, when you're a teacher, no matter how hard you work, you're going to be making the same amount the rest of your life. You're going to be on a fixed income, basically. Same thing with restaurants. You're only going to go so high. She started seeing that income potential and also the schedule availability that I had, which, of course, we work a lot, but we can work where we want. So she liked that. And then she made the decision two and a half years ago to jump over into real estate. And we had a long talk. I'd had long established relationships. And I talked to her very a lot about these established relationships that I'd already had for a decade. And I was already working with them, you know, realtors that I love that are family to me. So she transitioned, transitioned in with them. And honestly, she's one of my 11 or so realtors that I work with. I treat the good news is, is that I give everybody white glove service. So I don't really have to do anything special for my wife. But I do, honestly, you know, she can yell from the living room to see if an appraisal is in. That's the difference. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. One thing I'd like to highlight, and we're not talking about it enough, is the next generation of mortgage bankers. And I have a plan. Do you? Good. Yeah. I know. We gotta get, tell me what that is. I don't know if we need to sidebar this conversation. <laughs> no, no. I have a plan for now for my business at the very least, as far as yeah. like the next generation. Because as you just alluded to, ask anybody how they get into the business. Someone asked me just two days ago, and you know what my answer was as somebody who's actually pretty good at this stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> my answer was, uh, I knew somebody who knew somebody. And then I thought, and they knew somebody who knew somebody, and they knew somebody who knew somebody. Yeah. So it's very difficult to get into. But you know what? I love that about it. It's so cool that you're breaking through this wall, this curtain, where you're in this group of elite people where it's the best of the best. And especially in Atlantic Bay, we all know. I mean, we like to toot our own horns about it, but it's the truth. Look at our turnover. It's true. You know, 20 years in the restaurant industry, one of the things we were rated on was turnover. So it doesn't matter what job you're at. If your turnover rate's high, your culture's probably not good. But we know our culture's good because our turnover rate is low. I know. It's so true. And I mean, so the thing for ne the next generation of mortgage bankers, at least, is 
a lot of career switchers. So you're working at a car dealership, you're a teacher, you know, we're just, it's the same, you mentioned it, even in that book analogy, we're all doing the same things and there's enough room for it. So And lots of business. And lots of business. So it's like, I want to talk about, I mean, the fact that you, you were in the restaurant business, you were selling essentially, it's a sales role, right? Just much like what you're doing now, you're selling, you're you're communicating, you're not taking orders, you're, you know, trying to guide people into choosing the right dish or home for themselves, if you will. So I look at it all the same. You know, it's all it is. It's truly all the same. So when I speak with people and I kind of peel back their layers and their different qualities in them to build out these avatars of what a good mortgage banker, what the DNA of a good mortgage banker is. And it's all these different attributions of who makes what makes them them. And so, you know, you're a likable guy. You're very outgoing. You communicate well. I think you, you've got a very large passion in your belly to do these things and your wife also. So it's just, you know, I always try and figure out what that looks like. So I think one of the biggest pieces of advice that you can give anybody that's either in this industry for 20 years or in it for one year is act like you've been here before. And that means don't get super, super excited when it's bad. Don't get super, super excited when it's good. Don't get super, super excited when it's not. Take it all in stride. It's all going to lead to another thing, but act like you've been here before. Successes can be worn very well, but it won't be your last success. So why stop further successes by way overdoing an immediate? This is a step. You know, I want to get to it to another level and, and that success got me there. So. Same thing. I mean, we're, you know, the failures get are just as big as steps as the successes are. In fact, the failures are even more of steps than the successes are. So, 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think to close out, come full circle with the perseverance side, what are some habits that you've built out and you're persevering every day into your daily routine? I stick to my regimen. I do things like I'm getting better at gratitude. I'm getting a lot better at gratitude. I've actually implemented it. I actually at least reflect on it every single morning. I read every single day incessantly. I am reading all the time. Whether it's teaching me something or not, honestly, the act of reading itself is just making you smarter. So I listen to a book. I have a Kindle of a book. I have have another Audible book. I have actually a hard book that I read. I carry around the greatest salesman with me wherever I go because I have to read the scrolls. I basically try to stick to my regimens and my routines. I love regimens and routines. I'm very organized. I'm color-coded. I keep it all right there, and it's very organized. And as long as I do those things, I should be okay. At this point, I've learned enough where I have a really great base. I learn every day, don't get me wrong, because it's always changing. But yeah, definitely my regimens, 100%, staying focused on the goals and knowing that the next thing that I accomplish is not my final thing that I want to accomplish. So I don't want to get bogged down in that success either. My last question, and you know, I'm going to ask you something about lending it forward. So what piece of information, if someone were thinking about coming over to Atlantic Bay, what would you lend forward? What would you say to them? I would absolutely 100% be so cliche and say, follow your heart. I know that it absolutely sounds really, really, really silly to follow your heart, but I did. I have to say, I ultimately did. And ultimately my wife did too. And the people that are really happy in this industry are following their heart. You're doing a couple things. Look, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to apologize for making money. That's what we're here to do as well. And we do pretty well in this industry. That affords opportunities for my wife and my kids and my family and my mom and my dad and everybody. It also is charitable, excuse me, for charitable opportunities as well. So don't be afraid to make money. But at the same time, think about how many people we're helping. I mean, that far dwarfs anything else that we're doing. When you can take, my partner and I are literally in the top for the Virginia Housing and Development Authority in in the state of Virginia. And what that basically means, my translation of that is, is that we've taken basically the most first-time home buyers, and most of those folks don't even think that they can get a home, and we have given them the biggest 
most important thing they're ever going to purchase in their entire life. And in most cases, very limited stress. We talk to them through the process. We help them feel okay about it. I love it when our people look at other people and go, no, buying a house is easy. I use the Sam Kirk team. And then it goes from there. And, and, you know, that's why after 12 years, knock on wood, don't want to make the dogs bark. I've never bought a lead. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on Lending Forward and more to come with Matthew Kirk. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Lending Forward podcast powered by Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group. Don't forget to tune in next week and make sure you subscribe to our channel. Remember, we all play a part in Lending Forward. So go lend something forward today.